Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 8th, 2017. You're listening to the greatest poker podcast that ever existed. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. See how I mixed it up there? I like it. I yeah, like it's, it. it's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions when we get around to it. Mix it up every week. Mix it up every week. <laughs> so the funny thing is, right when you started doing your little uh, mixing it up there, um, I got a Facebook notification, and uh, Malcolm O'Malley just created a poll in the Antio Fans oh, no. Facebook page. Those polls are taking over the world. They are. Everything. Everybody wants to vote on these things, but no one actually goes to the ballot box and vote. so I don't understand <laughs> that. But. <laughs> But uh, but no, I think this is gonna be fun. We're getting a lot of, a lot more interactive there, and I know people. Uh, the O'Malley's movie is one of our uh, most favorite uh, segments on the show for our fans. So yeah. that'll be good. And uh, we have a new uh, mystery later this week that we won't finish next week because yeah, because you're not gonna be here. That's right. So next week is uh, yet another Andy up poker cruise. Chris is all cruised out for the year. He's done. He's yes. not going. No more for 2017. So I gotta be solo and flying, um, but uh, but uh, the, that means we're gonna have one of those uh, abbreviated, recorded on board shows that you all hate. But you know, last time we tried to make it more fun, we had a couple guests, and I think it was actually a good show. I don't know. It was know. a good show. But uh, this time, uh, Brent Philbin, who's one of our um, Annie Magazine strategy columnists, uh, he's also dealt for us before on the ship. Really fun guy with a lot of interest, um, and uh, he's gonna be on board uh, next week as well too. So I already asked him to be. A guest with me next week, um, and he his big passion now is cryptocurrency, which is uh, really popular in the po- poker world. And he promises me that he's going to sell me on investing in cryptocurrency. Because uh, I told him, you know, hey, <clears throat> Warren Buffett doesn't like it. So uh, Warren Buffett has more money than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's hilarious because these guys are getting into it now on Facebook about the cryptocurrency. And so I was, like, playing the troll for a second and... <laughs> said this this very famous uh you know economist from or whatever from uh, Colombia says uh you know it's it's don't do it you know and then they're like well he must be an idiot I'm like yeah he's from Colombia and he's a he's like an investment laureate or something I don't know some huge title and I'm yeah he's stupid but um you know they they are setting their they they think cryptocurrency is the way to go and I'm not saying it's not I just nope. wanted to know what, what they thought of what that guy said. And everybody called him an idiot. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> that's great. I'm out. Exactly. I I, uh, I cannot say whether it's good or bad, but uh, Brent's passionate about it, so he'll give us his sales pitch on next week's podcast to turn in for that. And he's also the one that broke the story on PPC Aruba. Um, not that there's anything new with that saga right now, but, uh, but I thought it was interesting how he put that together. So we'll ask him a couple questions about that. And maybe he'll give a strategy tip as well, too. Who knows? We'll see. But He's brilliant. Uh, so we'll do that on next week's cruise, and then uh, then we'll be back with our normal, um, frustratingly long, uh, bad strategy <laughs> show on December 22nd. 
It's only frustratingly long for me. That's <laughs> no one else has a problem with the show being as long or as short as it is. So I'm the only one. Oh man! All right. So Poker Go, uh, the new uh, the web-based poker programming network, has announced a new original series called Stories from the Felt. It features interviews with some of the game's biggest personalities, including Nick Shulman and Jennifer Harmon and Bill Perkins. In addition to documentary-style storytelling, the interviews will include a mix of rapid-fire questions. Uh, shows will focus on Bobby's Room, the Mayfair Club, and much more. And you can watch them at PokerGo.com. I uh, I wonder if like I start to feel old now because remember back in the day when MTV used to show videos. Now, yes. Now they show nothing. Uh, related to videos, they, now it's just the real world. <laughs> now it's just everything. Everything that's not music now is on MTV television. So I'm like, I wonder if we'll like 20 years from now say, remember when Poker Go used to show live poker, <laughs> and now it's you know the programming network and they're showing things about poker. At least they're doing stuff about poker. This sounds interesting to me. I I like uh, I like documentaries. We I think we've explored right. that on the show before, and I like things that. That follow people doing their their everyday mundane lives, but those lives are fascinating to us because of what they do that we know we can't do, you know, or whatever. So this this sounds interesting to me. I, I like this idea. Yeah. Um, I, well, what I will say. Um, oh boy. Hey, now you get me so old. No, I know what it is. <laughs> I, I I'm a get off the lawn kids kind of guy, right? Yeah. But um, but I I I'm not big on a network that's just people. Folding and raising and rebatting. Right, so right. this is the kind of stuff that I'd be more interested in, in watching. And I did watch the trailer, which actually was too quick and too non-descriptive to to really talk about. But it, it was enough to pique my interest, and um, I like that rather than just having a general story from the felt uh, every um, every episode that they actually have a theme for it. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to learn about what goes on in Bobby's room or. Or the Mayfair Club. Some of the other ones didn't interest me quite as much, but um, but asking people that that are there to talk about it a little bit more. And you're right; it's going to come off as a, um, a documentary, but probably a little bit more fast paced documentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah um, and you know that little trailer too is kind of like one of those branding tasters kind of thing. Like remember Sizzle. years ago? Remember, tape. Yeah, remember years ago when Tampa Bay got Knowledgey in the in the area for cable, and they were doing the little billboards that had like a knife on the billboard and you're like what the hell is that billboard it's just a knife and you're like what and then then the next day they would show like a knee and <laughs> i'm like what the hell is this stuff what is going on with this billboard and what they were doing was knowledge was spelled k-n-o-s so they were putting k-n word objects up on these billboards to get everybody wondering what the hell is going on they knew they would follow that billboard day in day out from their commute until they finally saw knowledge coming to your area, whatever the hell that was. So that's what these kind of teasers are. They don't they don't show you enough, but they want to pique your interest and make you want to tune in again. And that that makes sense to me. You know, it, it's if you're in the poker and you not idolize these people, but you would aspire to them or admire them, and sure. they're like because you you always hear about not always, but the, the the stuff of lore in poker is always Bobby's room, the Mayfair Club. Those are things like you wish you could play in those rooms you right. know we, we don't, at least be a fly on the wall using a cliche right exactly we, we don't we don't pretend to be better poker players than we are we know we'll never be able to sit in bobby's room and play you can watch from through the glass and mayfair club you know i don't know if you could play in the mayfair club i think you're allowed to play in the club for less money than 
than what you think they're playing for in there. I don't know. But those are places that are just, they live in poker lore. They're legend, and, and you want to go. So this gives you a little peek inside of that. That's very cool to me. And, I you know, I mean, you, and you have to have this sort of rapid-fire stuff because you've got to keep the attention. The people that are, are going to be watching this, you know, they 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 – they're young. They're hip. They got things to do. They're moving around. They they don't have all day for this stuff. So I I think that's why they have the quick kind of trailer too. These guys want to check in and check out, you know. And I like this. I think it's a good idea. I think I think it'll do well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I look forward to hearing um, uh, reviews of it from our listeners that um, you know subscribe to Poker Go and um, to where it goes. But it's nice to see that uh, they're breaking out of. Um, well, they've always broken out of of just um, yeah yeah. But doing different things, but th- th- this one I think interests me more than than the other stuff they've done. So good luck to them. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, any updates? If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Anti Up in your home area, apply at AntiUpMagazine.com/ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Colorado and the Northeast. Restock the shelves. Anti Up's food bag initiative. Uh, food bag? Did I say food bag? You did actually, but. <laughs> My nose is stuffed. That's it. Meant to say bank. Our our food bank initiative with partnership uh, in partnership with Blue Shark Optics returns in January, all of January. All of January. Yep. Not just one day. Even, um, even some December. It's already started. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne Greyhound Park in Florida, Pachanga Resort and Casino in California, Ho Chunk Wisconsin Dells in Wisconsin, and Bend Poker Room in Oregon are the latest poker venues to join us. For more details on all of the events or how you can encourage the manager of your favorite poker venue to participate, please visit antiupmagazine.com slash restock. The list keeps growing. It Uh, does. Getting more exciting. And we are very pleased to announce that we'll be bringing the Antiup Poker Tour to Arizona for the first time with with a single multi-flight event March 22nd to the 24th at V. Cueva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix. More details will be announced soon. We've been we've been knowing about this for a long time. Yeah, we 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 signed this deal back in August, but it just took us this long to to work with the property to get uh, everything ready to go and ready to announce. So we'll be announcing it later. Uh, actually, hopefully later today, and then um, we'll have a lot more. Uh, we'll have some more details in the next issue, and then um, in the next coming month we'll have uh, even more details. So very excited! It's a nice property. Always love being out there. Love the area. And um, so uh, come out and play. And it's going to be, like I said, just one one event. It's not going to be a series, but it's going to be a multi-flight. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of chance for you to get in and play and uh, get on the cover of the magazine. So Absolutely. We have a lot of big things coming up, a lot of announcements coming for Annie up soon. So we're going to be bottling up. we just going to let them all out. That's when right. 2018 is going to be huge. Huge. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Uh, this is one of our listeners. Says uh, <laughs> His name is Anon. stranger on the street that we just asked in the grocery store. Hey, <laughs> you happen to have a listener spotlight we can use this week? Thanks. Yeah. His name is Andy Anonymous, and... Uh, <laughs> He says, we've had a weekly home game go on for several years. Over the course of that time, we've had some players grow uncomfortable with the stakes. We play $1, $2, but it's not unusual for pots to be fairly consistently over 100 bucks. We are all friends, and some of us have grown uncomfortable with these swings. Well, a lot of growing uncomfortable in this game. I, I feel bad. <laughs> and we're taking that many chips off of each other. We've had many discussions over how to control this variance without adversely affecting the game. 
The idea of playing lower stakes was a non-starter for a few of us. We've managed to get past this, but recently the arrival of two new loose aggressive players has reignited the discussion. We've been trying to figure out a better way of controlling the variance of our home game in the face of the new lags. Here is what we've done, but I'd love to hear any other ideas you may have. One, limit how often we play non-hold'em hands. Games, maybe? Non-hold'em games? Mm, yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, two, offer to run it twice or three times when heads up, all in. Three, offer to split most of the pot and play out the hand for a token amount. Along the same lines, I've been preaching for those who complain that they need to adjust their style to the new lags. This may mean playing fewer hands until they figure something out, but it will make them a better player in the end. After all, adjusting to uh, your opponent is after all adjusting to your opponent is a big part of the game. Yeah, make up a comment. Yeah, you drive me crazy. Here, <laughs> here's some of the non-starters we've discussed over the years. One, play limit. I tried to call this a few times. No one liked it. Two, introduce a cap to the pot. Changes the game too much post-flop where all the interesting stuff happens. I think your Florida card rooms used to do this, no? Three, play hold'em only. Players got bored. Four, play smaller stakes. Players felt the pot would get bloated anyway, so why bother? I tried to say, then what's the harm in trying it? But I got no takers. Five, play tournaments. That's tough to do when pe- with people coming and leaving at different times due to obligations. And six, Forbid the borrowing of money between players during the course of the night. In other words, force a player to walk it off as they head to the ATM. So let's go back to the beginning. Sure. Um, they limit how often they play non-hold'em, and again, I think it's games. So why does that... Is it because they're uncomfortable with the games, so they're not good enough at the game, so they lose too much money playing that game, you think he means? Uh, that's the best I can hope for. I actually, uh, I meant to ask that in my response to it, and I forgot. So I actually don't know what number one means. So Number two I like, offer to run it twice or three times when heads up, all in. doesn't happen that often that people are heads up and all in in our home game. So it's not like we're going to slow the game down so significantly that we're going to lose 50 hands over the course of an afternoon. So I don't mind that. If somebody says, hey, you want to run it twice, and the other guy wants to, what's the big deal doing a turn or river, turn or river? It took me six seconds to say it. It'll take them six seconds to do it. So... I like that. That way, you're, it's they do it in the biggest games in the world. Why can't you do it in your own home game? So, yeah, it does help uh, with the variance. So absolutely, that, that's, that's a solid um, help with my variance idea. Now, number three is kind of iffy. I don't know if I would do this. Offer to split most of the pot and play out the hand for a token amount. Now, the reason why this is a bad idea, and even we've kind of done this in our game every once in a while, and I stop to think wait a minute, how do the other players feel about this who aren't in hand anymore? You know, if if somebody knew on the river that there was a possibility that we could split the pot, I might stay in one more street. But if I got out because I'm like, Ugh, it's just I just don't want to put that much money in for this to see the river, and then I fold, or, or see the turn, and then when it gets to the river, they're like, hey, you want to split most of the pot, and then we'll play for $3? It's like, wait a minute. I was just in the in this hand a minute ago. Now that my money's in there, now you want to split my money? That's not right. It's one thing to be all in and you both are committed to it, and then you say, let's run it twice. It's another to say, hey, let's get Scott out of the pot, and then Mike and I will split it once he's out. You know, we force him out. That 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 sort of leads to kind of could lead to collusion. I don't like number three. Right, right. And and, and you go back to the beginning. They they didn't want to you know adversely affect the game, and this this one clearly adversely affects the play of the game, I think. 
So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I wouldn't do that. Uh, going back to number one, I think may- maybe, uh, you know, and I edit these down, so maybe it's my fault, but maybe they, they switch between Hold'em and, and PLO. Mm. And that's the case. PLO does is a higher variance game, so that would help. Um, if not, I would say playing limit games will help <laughs> because now you're not all in. Every you have the chance of being all in. Yeah. Towards deck, but but that doesn't seem like it works because in the next segment here, they they say offered to play limit and no one wanted to do it. So so it must like be a, the limit hold them only, right? Because all the other if they don't play like stud and all that. I mean, if you're only playing one, two, no limit, then geez, that's a boring night. <laughs> um, um, now, I did mention to him that uh, he was slightly confused on what the Florida card rooms used to do. We were messed up here for a while, um, admittedly, um, but we never capped the bet. Well, we did cap the bet back when it was two dollar poker. But once we changed the law, we didn't cap the bets, but we capped the buy-ins, which right. was insanely stupid. Uh, that's what happens when elected officials muck up with the life. So, remember that. Um, but um, uh, it, but that did obviously affect the game somehow. But there are states that they, they do bet uh, cap the bets, and that's why it's one two no limit. But they call it one two three hundred spread because yeah. bet three hundred dollars. So, um, of all these options that they threw out, I think that one might be the best compromise here. But it does change the game. I mean, I guess there's no way of really getting around changing the game here. So um, it's just what you can do to keep people interested without changing the game too much. Because, um, yeah, number three says play hold them right. only. Play. I was just about to say that. that yeah. must be PLO. that They must be doing something else. Maybe that's what it is. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have a max bet, but even then, I don't. what's your max bet going to be? I mean, I don't know what, what these folks are buying in for. Um you know, but he says it's it's not used for pots to be fairly consistently over a hundred dollars. So when you're gonna cap the bet at twenty or thirty, you know, fifty maybe, even at even at that, you know, you can still you, bet that on two streets and you're back to the hundred dollars right, a exact, pot. You know, so, I mean, you know, I guess what we said, like you know, Colorado, Mississippi, it's a, it's a technically a spread limit game, but just a really big spread, but. You know, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you do a two to twenty spread game, and you know, uh, that way you're not going to get too much. But then, uh, you know, people that don't play, no one really plays spread limit anymore. Um, true spread spread limit. So that might be weird to your players, and um, it may seem too limity for them since they don't like to play limit. But uh, I don't know what else you can do in that one. Um, and, and right, smaller stakes don't really mean much. You know, yes, yeah, so you have a little smaller opening raises, but once you get to a point that you both have a good hand, it's all in. So uh, this is an interesting argument I had with a poker room manager before that, uh, and he's a really respected one in the country. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what the um, the betting limits are; that it's all about effective stacks. So, you know, if you're sitting there with everybody has five thousand, it doesn't matter whether you have one is one two limit, no limit, <laughs> right? Your yeah. your your pots are going to be big, so. Um, and he's right. Tournaments, you know, you know, we used to do that in our home game, but it's tough. You know, once you're out of the tournament, then you're. It's not even like different times due to obligations, like you said. It's also once you're out, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Sit there and watch people play, and you know, technically, when you come over to play a home game, you don't come over to watch people play. You come over to play. So it's that, that's not a good solution either. I don't think so. Faso and I, if we got knocked out early, we'd go play heads up in the kitchen. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> we were bored out of our minds, you know, we'd be real aggressive or something, and we'd get, you know, cool deck, cold deck or something, and then you're out of it. So, yeah, that stinks. Before you move on to the next one, I was just going to say, I kind of liked playing smaller stakes. I liked when we would have our normal game at your house, which was basically two four Skittles, and then, you know, it would be like uh, 51 for uh, no limit or something. You know, if we were playing our pot limit was 25. Yeah, quarter Skittle, quarter Skittle for uh, PLO games. Or and then, But when we would go to Mark's house, the, the, the blinds were half of that. Right. So we were playing like one, two limit games, and I would crush that game. But then when I would play our game, every once in a while I might do well in it, but usually I would win 30 or break even and go home. I would never win a ton in our, in our game. I would just always, but when I played Mark's game, it was, a, it was not because I played looser or whatever. It was, just, it was just a different feel. It was a much more relaxed game. I think the more I was relaxed, the more I did better. I, I did well. I, I don't know. But um, I, I like the smaller stakes idea. I felt like I never left Mark's house down enough money where it stung, but, you know, or whatever. And it just, it just, but he said earlier in the in the beginning paragraph when he talked about it, he said the idea of lower stakes was a non-starter for a few of us. But then he's saying he suggested playing smaller stakes, and they said it would get bloated anyway. And he said, why not? What's the harm in trying it? So it's weird. He says on one hand, no one wanted to play smaller stakes, but then he's saying, why not try it? So I, I really think you'd be surprised. We're not talking penny ante. I mean, we're talking instead of going one two, you know, you make it quarter fifty cent for no limit, you know, um, and that. That keeps it down because it's not going to be that bloated, you know. You start playing by your normal. Hey, I'm not going to make it six dollars to go in a twenty-five cent, fifty cent game when I don't have to. When I can make it a dollar fifty and still do my normal three X rays, and people start to follow along and play the way you would normally play, and the stakes don't matter at that point. And then you're playing the way you should be playing. You think about pot sizes. You think about betting sizes, and still come up with tells and. I don't know. I enjoyed the variation of having the smaller stakes at his game and the higher stakes at yours, and but that's just me. I, I, if they are all against it, there's nothing you could do about it. But to me, that would keep people from being uncomfortable. It would. Yeah, um, I think the other interesting thing here, too, and one of the things that, that I, I told this listener um, is that this is why home games are so challenging, right? And so many of them break up and... You know, we, we've been fortunate, and, and people who listen to the show from the beginning know that our game's morphed, right? It's gone through a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it because people have questions like this or concerns, and we end up, we've had a good group where we've been able to talk through that and, and figure out a way to make everybody happy. And, you know, some people left, some people come, came in. Uh, but other people aren't that lucky with their home games. Um, so I, I think the challenge in, in, in trying to solve, and I'm using air quotes, not that anybody can see me. <laughs> Solve the problem here is that it, 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 to have this discussion, you're going to have to have a discussion in front of these new loose aggressive players that are in the game now, right? Right. And essentially, what you're telling them, whether you directly tell them or they figure it out alone, is, hey, you guys have started playing the game and you've mucked it all up. So now we need to, we need to make changes so we have a chance to beat you, right? Right. right. <laughs> like, there's no way of spinning it other way than that. <clears throat> So then those guys, uh, I mean, they may think, all right, whatever, but I doubt it, um, you know, um, and then they might leave and <laughs> then you're back where we are. Or maybe you, you, you not invite them, I guess that's a solution, too, if that's the case. But, you know, it's 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 a weird thing here because there's a fairness issue. Every, you know, at the poker table, we're all allowed to play the game however we want, as long as we're being ethical and playing within the rules. And, you know, I, I've been in casino games where, you, you know, those old folks are like, oh, I can't believe he's raising every hand. I'm out of here. This is yeah. brutal. Yeah. 
all right, that's fine. That's your choice. But, you know, you're allowed to raise. <laughs> so other people decide that that's your strategy is to raise every hand. So, you know, if you want to take your ball and go home, great. But you're going to be at home. <laughs> I, I, would put, I would try to use logic with them with those smaller stakes. I would just say, listen, if you're saying it might get bloated or whatever, we have a lot of people who are uncomfortable. How are you going to feel when there's no game? You know, so just let's see what happens. Let's play like one night. We just agree to play, you know, 50 cent dollar instead of one, two or 25 cent, 50 cent. You know, you, your buy-in was 100 before or maybe it was maybe it's 50 now or maybe it was 200 before. Now it's 100 now, whatever. I really think if you use logic and you talk to them about it, uh, say, look, if we continue this way, too many guys are not going to want to come back and we're going to have either a shorthanded game that we don't want to play or no game at all. Let's just try this and see if it really does bloat it. If you're guessing, you don't have any empirical evidence that proves that all the pots are getting bloated and we're losing the same amount of money. Let's try it and see how it goes. Just one night, one night. And if it sucks, we don't do it the next night, you know? So that's what I would do. That's the biggest way I would try to affect that game to get everybody happy again. And then, you know, you never know. Then you might get a bunch of players come in. You might find new players that want to play the bigger game again. And the smaller player guys, you know, will be overruled. No leave. Then you still have a big enough game. But you don't want that. You want everybody to be happy and wanting to play. So that's what I would do. Godspeed. Good luck. <laughs> okay. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.antiupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This guy named Vic. Gee, uh, I'm not sure who that is, but he's writing in for the first time, I think. So, so I was playing one two no lemon hold'em in my local Florida card room. The table had a shuffle master, and the card intended for the fourth player was face up in the deck. The dealer treated it as an exposed card and gave the next card to the fifth player. Once the button received their second card, the dealer replaced player four's face up card with the next card and made the face up card the burn. Was this correct? Should player four and not player five have received the next card? Would the hand have been handled any differently if the face-up card in the deck was the button's first or second card? What about if more than one face-up card was discovered during play? Elliot says, from Robert's Rules of Poker, uh, <laughs> Robert's Rules of Poker, <laughs> quote, uh, a card discovered face-up in the deck, a uh, box card, will be treated as a meaningless scrap of paper. A card being treated as a scrap of paper will be replaced by the next card below it in the deck, except when the next card has already been dealt face-down to another player and mixed in with the other down cards. In that case, the card that was face-up in the deck will be replaced after all other cards are dealt for that round. End air quote. Elliot says, uh, so the answer to your initial question is yes, the box card should have been discarded, and the deal should have resumed with uh, the player that had received the box card. In this case, that would have been the player number four. Uh, the fact that this didn't happen is not the end of the world, as the replacement of the box card was identical to the replacement of an exposed card, and consistency is generally a good thing. In fact, were it proposed by my colleagues, I would not be against treating box cards as exposed cards. Neither the universe nor the actual cards know or care about, which, about to which seat they are supposed to be dealt. This is another of the many rules that are held over from the days of player dealt games and the need for ruling to introduce protection and intentional randomization in order to prevent players from cheating on the deal. Your second question was about box or exposed cards dealt to the button. In the pre-shuffle machine days, an exposed first card dealt to the button constituted a misdeal because the standard remedy would result in two consecutive cards being dealt to the button, the button's second card and the first burn card, which is also the very next card. During that time in, hand, uh, in the hand shuffle game, this was a bridge too far for most players, and I mostly agree. 
With shuffle machines in use almost everywhere, giving the button two consecutive cards is not a concern anymore, and it shouldn't be. On hand-shuffled games, I would prefer that the button never get a chance to retreat, uh, receive two consecutive cards, but it appears as though I'm in the minority, if not virtually alone. <laughs> Your third question inquired as to what would happen if another box card would be found later in the hand. For the most part, it becomes a standard golf decision. Play it where it lays. The action is settled and accepted and must continue to its conclusion. This may vary by the rules and regulations of a particular jurisdiction, but for the most part, the show must go on. All right, so again, card destiny comes into play again. <laughs> and I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm now, you know, I'm converted. I don't think of card <laughs> destiny anymore, but it, it's Thanks, funny. Man. It's funny, though, isn't it? How, I mean, people still think of it and still consider it, and the rules are still written. A lot of the ways are written to placate the people who, like the card destiny thing. That's my card. That's my card right there. That's my card. I want that card. You know? To me, I, I, I would see why I wouldn't see why a box card wouldn't be treated would be should be treated the way a misdealt card would be treated because it's a mistake. If I'm dealing one, two and a third card I go to deal it and I flip it over by accident, you keep going. Four, five, six, seven, eight. You don't say, Oh, sorry, here's a new card. You keep going and then you deal that person the last card after the last card. So why wouldn't that be the same thing? Because it's a mistake in the shuffling. So, okay, that's not your card, but we're going to put it down and then keep dealing the other people their cards because that's the way you would do it if you dealt a mistake. This is a shuffled mistake, but it's the same thing to me. So I don't see why. I think the way the guy did it was right. I don't know. Well, it depends on whether you buy Robert's uh, argument or not, and Robert as in Robert's rules of poker, not pokers. Uh, because this has been, you know, this is, I mean, that guy's. I don't know how, dead he is now but <laughs> i'm sure he's dead right so the rule has been around for a long time so most people know that it, and that's exactly what it is a scrap of paper it, it's a unicorn it's a figment of an imagination so it, it's not an exposed card in that sense it, it's because it doesn't really exist even though we know it exists because we're looking at it right right so um if you buy that then that's the difference between that and an exposed card because the exposed card was a real card that was um, invalidated because it was exposed. So, but I, it, again, I think this is almost a splitting hairs thing. It, I, either way, it doesn't matter to me at all. Um, but consistency matters to me. So, I would like to think that wherever you're playing, that particular room does it the same way both times. And if it does that, then there shouldn't be any problem because, again, there is no such thing as card destiny. All the cards are random at that point, and you don't know what you're going to get until you get it. So, I'm, uh, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Robert's Rules is named after Bob Chifoni. He's still, oh, okay. So he's not dead. So. He's still alive. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I could do alive or dead if you want. Let me, he's alive, uh, dead. I don't know. Let me see. We'll look it up here. I think he's alive. Yeah, he's alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote it a long time ago, yeah, right? So yeah. We can agree on that. So uh, I think this is a really fascinating answer, too, overall um, to me because I'm a history buff, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's history involved in this answer, which is great, is that um, – the whole player dealt thing, and that's why you don't give two cards to the button. Because I, I actually never understood that. I, it's just one of those things. I'm like, okay, all right, that doesn't we don't do that for whatever reason. I'm sure there's a good reason, but whatever. <laughs> I never thought to ask, and now we know, and that makes sense. And a player dealt because if you knew you're going to be able to give two consecutive cards, it does help the cheats a little bit, right? Yeah. But the in a shuffle master, you, you don't have that problem, which is what Elliot said. So it, it's one of those things where we got to move on. There's no more blacksmiths. There's no more VCRs. Should be no more worried about two consecutive cards to the button. 
I think they're still blacksmiths. Probably are. And yeah. probably Bob, uh, whatever his name is, probably a blacksmith. Uh, in Virginia, right? Where they have the, the yeah, old... He probably uh... watches uh, poker <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have a new O'Malley's move. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in our usual $1-$2 No Limit Hold'em home game. This is a friendly but serious game where everybody is pretty comfortable with everybody else. The game is early, only about a half hour in, and we're up $10. We bought in for $200 and currently have $210. The game is six-handed. The blinds post, it's folded to us on the button with the King of Spades, King of Hearts. The standard raise is to 4x big blinds, so we make it $8 to go. The small blind calls. This player likes to see a lot of hands, and once he's involved in one, he doesn't like to let it go. He also loves to bet scare cards. He started the hand with 180. The big blind folds, and we see a flop of the Queen of Spades, Jack of Hearts, Nine of Hearts. This is a pretty coordinated flop, but we do have an inside straight and backdoor flush draw not to mention the overpair. Our opponent checks to us, and with $18 in the pot, we make it $12 to go. He calls relatively quickly. The turn is the nine of spades. There's $42 in the pot, and our opponent leads out for $30. We make the call, and the perplexing ten of hearts lands on the river. With $102 in the pot, our opponent makes a $65 bet into it, leaving him about the same amount behind. We've made a straight, but if we call and lose, we're down to less than $100. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiatmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And Chris, it amazes me that we keep gaining listeners from the U.K., why? They love their poker over there across the pond. Why is it amazing to you? I think it's, it's par for no, course. I, I don't mean amazing as in surprising. Amazing as in proud. It's great. Oh, okay, good. You know, you know because I, you know, I keep telling the story about how we started, right? And, uh, uh, and, and we recorded these really awful podcasts for five minutes uh, um, you know, with microwaves dinging in the background. But then we started getting emails from around the world, and so it proves – you don't even have to be good at what you do. <laughs> we'll find you people that like you. So, um, so it's, it's cool. It's really cool to me that every time we get a hey, long time listener, first time emailer, and that's exactly what it said. And it comes from somewhere that uh, I've only been once. I don't know if you've been to London either, but uh, I've only been there once. And, Never been there. So it's not like we're it's not like we're uh, doing a lot to grow anti up in London. <laughs> so, the fact that we're we continually get new listeners there is nice. So. Anyhow, um, our new listener, or, or no, he's not a new listener, long-time listener, first-time emailer is uh, James Blood from London. Um, he says, uh, I was recently at a local casino, the sort of place that the nefarious and licentious... Well, licentious. Licentious, see, there we go. <laughs> That's the other problem with, with these English people, they're much smarter than I am. Licentious. <laughs> I uh, like to frequent, uh, so he says, I so I fit right in. It has a sign on the wall saying, poker left, ladies right. This is directions <laughs> to the ladies' lavatories, but it still looks a bit peculiar. And he attached a photo for our amusement, but, you know. <laughs> well, he sent it to both of us, so you you can go in. I know you don't read them. But, 
Anyway, he says, uh, last I digress, I was playing a one, two pound limit game because it's Britain, <clears throat> so it's pounds, not dollars. Right? Oh, cool. Um, you know, uh, uh, we, and he says, which is not the smallest uh, an offer in the place, so not all the players are the sort of mouth breathers who say raise when they mean bet. Try <laughs> havoc when an opponent dares three bet without ace, ace, or king, king. <laughs> it's kind of a better player, right? I'm a mouth breather, I think. I. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a mouth breather when I sleep. I think I'm not. I'm not sure about everyday life, but well, you know it's that sleep apnea. So mm. uh, the standard of playing these games is, however, still usually quite poor, uh, and it's not uncommon to have three or four players at the flop or to see a full limp around the table. I've been at the table for 15 or 20 minutes by the time this hand occurred, and my original 200-pound buy-in had dwindled to 185 from blinds and a speculative call to raise with suited connectors from the cutoff. Important hand, however. Began with a limp uh, from a, the woman who was under the gun, another limp from under the gun plus two, a raised 12 pounds by the cutoff, uh, who's a gentleman from Eastern Europe, and we are on the button with Ace of Diamonds, Queen of Spades. I really wish my 200 pounds would dwindle to 185, but... Uh, <laughs> oh boy, that would, be, that would be the trick I'd want. That'd be awesome. All right, so we have Ace, Queen, we have two people in the pot that limped, and then we have... A uh, guy who raises to 12. Uh, Ace-Queen. Well, yeah, you know what? I'll just call. I Normally, I would consider folding this. Normally. But this is a one-two-pound game. One-pound, two-pound game. I'm not sure how you say that. And uh, like he said, they're not the worst players in the house, but they're not the best either. So that raise could mean anything. It could mean, hey, I'm, I've been told that I'm in the cutoff, so I should try to steal that dead money, and I'm raising with any two. It could be, could be a big pair, it could be aces, it could be kings, it could be anything. So I think I'll just call and 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 feel everybody out here. I I, I probably since I'm on the button, I'm gonna have a uh, you know uh, position on everyone in power. So I'll just call. Re-raising, I think, is a big mistake. I I don't I wouldn't do that. And folding, it's not a mistake. Folding is not a mistake here. Um, but I don't, I don't see that being a problem. If you do fold, I'm fine with it. But it's probably a little too tight in a game like this. So I would probably call and and then speculate. Yeah, I think people were expecting me to say fold, and uh, I probably normally would fold this again. As I explained, it's a big leak in my game that I plug by not uh, making this call and then getting to the end with all in and uh, seeing ace king take the pot <laughs> yeah right um so I'd, I'd prefer to avoid that particularly because again this is a cash game so uh, there's no urgency for me to play hands i can play the next one after that um i guess my argument for uh, where i would say i might play it is because we're on the button and that gives us a, the, the maximum control over this because we get the act last going forward and so now we have a lot more information to base how we continue this hand on. So at that point, I'm not a, not opposed at all to calling here, I think, as well, too. And I probably wouldn't this spot. Uh, but you're right. Raising uh, was going to get us in trouble. But my big concern is that uh, we have a limp under the gun and under gun plus two. And that's always interesting to me. Um, so I'm a little worried about the, the limp re-raise here and um, and then getting trapped for my 12 pounds because if it gets limp re-raised, I'm not putting another dime, uh, yeah. dime pence. <laughs> another pence. Killing, <laughs> like that. Into another this, quid. Uh, <laughs> into this pot. So that that would be my fear in calling here is that I, I just – I'm always very 
suspect um, about under the gun limps. And we had two actually. We had under gun, under gun two, both limped. So that's probably the tipping point for me to fold here. But otherwise, I, I do like to play ace queen on the button because I have more. It's not like I throw I, I fold ace queen all the time to races, but so I guess in final analysis, I'm folding. But you are folding? Fall, that's fine, too. Yes. Wow, you did fold. You you had us all thinking you were calling. Well, there's lots of reasons there. But again, I, I'm just worried about those limpers. So I guess we'll find out. Um, well, the first I'm limper, maybe. The second limper, don't be worried about that. The first limper, maybe. Second right. limper, no. But wow, you are folding. Ah, Ooh. I didn't think you were going to fold. Another hand two minutes from now. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> okay. So I'll go back to watching The Crown on Netflix. <laughs> You know, I think from now on you should try to do when they when these are sent in from England, you should try to do an English accent when you read it. Uh, no, no one wants to hear that. Because he, no he it, you're reading it like like James here, so you got to say like you know. See now, now you're just being. Uh, I I don't even know what the ist is, but you're being an ist of some point. No, here, right? I, I like to. I want to try he to get in his mindset. I, he may be from Tennessee and just lives in the UK now. That's so. true. That's true. Somehow or I don't believe it. He wouldn't use words like nefarious and licentious. So. But he says from London, right? Is that you said he's from London? Well, yeah, London? that's where he could be. It doesn't mean he was born and raised there. So. Uh, he said he was from London, so. All right. All right. All right. Now he says, uh, now I know you two are going to say this is a trap hand, and it's called walking back to Houston because it always loses money against Ace King. Um, is, that, is that a phrase that I'm missing? No, that's, that's uh, what's his name? He talks about that um, uh, super, in Super System. Mm, okay. I figure it's a dualism. Yeah, it's definitely a Doyle. Well, Doyle says it. I mean, that's what Texas, Texas Hold'em like came from. That walking back to Houston because you traveled all the way out to play poker in Dallas or something, and now you got to walk back to Houston because you penniless and you can't take the bus. All right. <clears throat> all right. So anyhow, says walking back to Houston because it always loses money against Ace King. But I fear that branch of thinking is narrowing the cutoff's raising range far too much for the modern game. Mm-hmm. So there's approximately zero percent chance of me folding in this spot. One percent. Hey. That, well, that's a good that's a good analysis, though. I mean, we aren't talking, you know, the '70s when ten guys played hold'em, and you know, I mean, they played for millions of dollars. We're talking about a one-two pound game where the cutoff could have anything. Ace King is only going to do if it's under the gun or plus one. You know, I mean, I mean, he's right. The range opens up way more in the cutoff. So, that's he's. I think he's smart. I think he's right. All right. At the same time, I'm think grazing is a mistake because I'm not going to like too many flops if I get called. And if I get four bet, I have to let go of my equity in the hand. With this in mind, I call. The other gun also calls. Uh, the middle position player folds. And uh, I am the ex- effective stack as the under the gun has about 1,400 pounds and the cutoff has about 600 pounds. So very large people playing in this game. <laughs> uh, uh, flop is the queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, eight of hearts. There's 40 pounds in the pot. And he says the extortionate rate. Wow. I, see, I just I feel so stupid talking to my friends in Britain. See, <laughs> see that that confirms it for me. This man is is English. He's not <laughs> yes. from Tennessee. <laughs> not that I'm offending our Tennessee listeners, but they're not using extortionate. Yes, that's true. And licentious. <laughs> so the extortionate rake of five percent with a ten pound cap is removed at the end of the hand in the UK, so huh. they don't take it as they go. Right. Uh, which actually, you know, in a lot of ways makes sense to me, doesn't it? Yeah, because Dio has to keep thinking about it and, and figuring out the pot, and well, just at the end when you shove the pot, you just boom, take what you need. But, yeah, yeah. but I don't know. All right, um, under the gun player checks. The cutoff bets twenty seven pounds, and it is on us. I'm assuming the other under the gun 
Did, did that person uh, uh, it folded fold? to the right? Fold. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, bet's twenty-seven pounds. Hmm. We got top top. And how much did we start with? Do you remember? Uh, I believe you said one eighty-five. All right, that's right. Because we went. That's right. We we dwindled to one eighty-five. Yes. Okay. So let's see. I'm trying to figure out. If there's a reason we need to raise here. There's a pretty juicy board on there. It's pretty wet. Uh, straight draws. Straights could already be there. Flush draws are there. Hearts. Um, this person raised pre-flop, so they could have. They could have a bigger pair than queens, or they could just be doing regular C bet. Um, I think I might. I don't know. I I always seem to want to bet to force out draws and stuff. I, that's just my game. I I feel like if I got a really good piece of it, I want to know now if well, these not guys force them out, but to make them pay, make them pay right, or force them out and narrow the field a little bit more. Give me a heads up with this guy. Um, I don't know if I raise and probably making it sixty pounds, and I've already got twelve committed for my one eighty five, so another one seventy. So that's still within reason of a raise. I don't know. I, I may. It depends on how I felt about that under the gun check. If I think the under the gun is going to get out of the way, I might. I might just call and try to keep the pot size to a manageable size. But if I felt like, um, you know, if I if I felt like it wasn't enough to get that person to think twice about their bet uh, or calling, then I might raise. So I don't know. I feel like I might just call here and then on the turn make it look like I'm stealing it when I'm actually not. You know. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm probably going to call, though. Okay. So, yeah, here's the interesting thing that I – because I've had a couple of emails back and forth with James here. So uh, I will read what he says, and, that'll, and then I'll answer what I would do. He said, um, folding again is out of the question. The min raise would be to 54 pounds, and any meaningful raise would be to 80, 100 pounds. This would leave me with a terrible pot to stack ratio for the turn and river should I be called. Uh, with this in mind, if I were to raise, I should probably go all in. Um, I think that's an interesting thought here because uh, I, I did lose. Tra- I don't know if I lost track of the of the pot or, or stack here, but it's an interesting thing because I do feel like you need to raise here. We got top top. We're in position. We need to figure out whether we're up against a standard C bet or that player has something. Um, I do want a the other player if they're on a draw, which makes a lot of sense to me at this point, um, to either fold or, or uh, pay a bad price to draw uh, to draw. So I do think we need to raise, but all right, so maybe three times that would be you know eighty is what he said. So then now we're down to a hundred, right? Well, no, we we put twelve in brief, so it's a little Less, under hundred. So now down to 80, which I guess that's fine because then you just go all in on the next one. So maybe we're not as pot committed. We are pot committed, but it's not that we need to – it's not that the choice needs to be a min-raise or all in, which I think is kind of what he's getting at with his pot-to-stack ratio argument, right? Yeah. So maybe that's the way to go. I I initially argued to him that that I would probably min-raise here, which is usually a very weak play. But considering our stacks and that, that – that would make the player in between us have to wonder whether she's going to get three bet after she calls at 54, right? Because she has to call 54 cold. So that it would effectively get her out of the pot if she's drawing, which is great, right? 
And then then we'll find out what happens. I mean, we could get re-raised again at that point. You got to figure out what's going on. So I don't think a min-raise in this spot is really that bad. Um, but now that I look at it, I also don't think the 80-pound raise or pa- raised 80-pound is, is terrible either. Just knowing that once you do that, then you have to call anything at that point. So um, I guess the 54 gives you an out. You know, if you get if it, if now our other opponent shoves, that's going to be a tough call to make, right? At that point, with the top no. top. Oh well, I don't Tougher. know. I don't know if I could fold after that. Here, here's the thinking I'm thinking, and you, you've gone so circuitous around that I'm trying to still. I don't want to. I wanted to address everything you were saying, but one of the things, the reason why I didn't want to raise here, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but if I reopen the betting. And this guy had a legitimate preflop raising hand. Like you said, now he comes over the top of us again, and he's got aces, or even kings. I have an out with kings, but aces, I'm dead. So I'm like, okay, um, you know, I, I can't fold. I don't know if I can. I could probably get away from it with just 27 pounds. I can't get away from it for 50, 54 or 80 I think I can't. I don't think I can fold if I put eighty in. Definitely fifty-four. Maybe I could get away from it. But why do that? Why? What? Just to get one person out when we're saying we want them to to keep drawing. You know, if it gets there, well, then it got there. Wrong price and twenty-seven is not the wrong price. You <clears throat> call. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's forty in the pot, so that would be another. That's about a hundred in the pot and twenty-seven. That's right or about the right call. Yeah, I don't know if fifty-four is either. Then because if if you got fifty-four. You've got the 12 preflop that was three players called through 12, so that's 36 and 54 is already nine, uh, 90. Then the 27 makes it 100. And so you're already over 100, so they're getting a little better than 2 to 1 on their money. I mean, I know it's it's a bad price, but it's not with implied odds. You know what I mean? If they make their flush or they make their straight, that's kind of disguised. I mean, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get that person out for 54. Well, and they do have us both covered by quite a bit, too. So yeah. You might- Right there. I, I guess the point where they're not getting the bad price based on the pure math now, but they have to worry about being three bet and then four bet. So mm. they might it might end up by a time they're gonna have to be there's a possibility that they could be all in have have to face an all in bet and all in being not all their money but six hundred um before we get to see the turn. And if I'm on a draw, I don't think that's definitely not the right price at that point. Because now you have no effect. Of, I mean, implied odds. Because now all the money's all in. So, yeah. Now it's you know six hundred to win twelve, fourteen hundred at that point. So, and I don't think that's going to happen. So that that's what I, I I'm getting at. Now, obviously, I'm making an assumption that this person's probably on a draw. They could have anything. They could have nothing and be not even worried about it, just waiting for us to bet or act so they can fold themselves. Right. Right. Exactly. But it just seems at this point, you know, we didn't get the limp re-raise pre-flop, so now I, I, I don't, I'm not as worried about that hand as I was before. Now they could have really anything, um, but what we're worried about is them having a draw because it's a very draw-heavy board. So uh, I'm just going to assume that there's a draw there, and I want to, I want to get that draw to make a mistake one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, the end of the gun could have limped. They limped, so it could have been ace three of clubs for all we know. And now they're just waiting to fold. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like you said. So, um, uh, you know what? I, I still feel like it calls the way to go. Because I'm trying to put somebody on a hand who hasn't acted yet. 
I mean, they acted with a check, but it's like for me to not make that. For me, the best thing for me to do is is to really call because if I raise and then it does get four bed or three bed or whatever it is at now, I'm not sure we are now. Um, then it's like I just wasted 54 pounds when I could have just called and felt out the turn. And the turn when the guy checks to me. Now he really only was only sea betting, and now I can comfortably put in eighty or whatever, or you know whatever it is. And if the the scare card comes, and then the end of the gun well, bets out, I've still only cost me twenty seven. There's not a lot of cards that are going to come that aren't going to be scare cards. That's the other problem, right? You know, if card comes, we don't want to see that. Any card like seven or higher, we're not going to want to see because that's a straight card. So I mean, we're looking at cards six six and lower that aren't hearts. So. Well, seven that's doesn't yep. make a difference because nine, ten is already. Well, that's true. Yeah, you'd have to have nine, ten. So seven or lower, and not a heart. So that's still almost half the deck. That's half. The, I mean, that's half the deck basically. So I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to call. All right, you, you're not going to call. You're going to make it what? Fifty four. Uh, yeah, I think fifty four is where I'm at. <clears throat> <still. clears throat> okay, so I'm going to I'm going to just call the twenty seven. Okay. Um, all right, our hero says instead I elect to call with the intention of shoving any brick turn cards. So. Playing Chris style here. Okay. Uh, he says, to my surprise, the other gun also calls. So we uh, go to the turn three-handed with 121 in the pot. And he says, I try to narrow ranges at that point. And it seems likely that undergun has a draw or maybe a worse queen. The cutoff still has a wide range, but I would lean towards a big pocket pair or perhaps ace-king, king-queen. His bluff range on the flop should be very small and can find uh, ace-x with ace of hearts. Uh, the turn is a miserable seven of hearts. So mm-hmm. I'm born out queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, eight of hearts, seven of hearts. And he says, to my surprise, it is checked to us. Wow. They both checked to us. Yes. Okay, then we got a bet. Right. First of all, the first person probably was calling with a straight draw and maybe one heart. That's why would you not bet now to get your money in? Because you got these guys behind you who may have bigger pairs than what's on the board. You may look like you're stealing it, and they'll call your bluff, but you're not really bluffing. So if you hit your flush, unless it's the absolute nut flush, why would you check under the gun? I, I don't see that check happening. I think no matter how bad of a game is, if, if, if it's really bad, then those players don't even understand slow, you know, slow playing. They would just bet because they get excited. So this person checked with like a straight draw and a heart. I think the other person now may have a heart as well, but didn't hit that flop and is afraid of us. And so that's why they checked there. They checked because they think we may be drawing and we've gotten there. We have to bet now. So the pot was what? 20, 27, three. So that's 60, 81. And then the original what, 30. So what was it? One, what? One twenty ones in the pot. One twenty ones in the pot. So yeah, I'm going to bet like a little more than half of the pot. I have a hundred. Since I only bet twenty-seven, I still have a hundred and like fifty in front of me. So I'm going to bet like half what I have, maybe. That way, they know they can't bluff me on the end because I can't fold, and I'll just put like seventy-five okay. out there, maybe. Okay, I, I suppose there is a there is an argument that the under the gun does have the flush and is expecting one of us to bet. That'd be the only concern, but uh, but I think you're right. I think um, everybody seems to be scared, so let's take advantage of it. Yeah. All right, our hero says, uh, I am certain no flush checks here with the exception of 10-9 of hearts, so I feel free that I can bet for value. Uh, after thinking for 30 seconds to one minute, 
I bet 70 pounds, which is perhaps a little on the large side, but I'm hoping to fold out a lot of the small to medium naked hearts. The other the gun calls, and I assume I'm going heads up, but the cutoff also calls, and I'm confused. Whoa. Yeah, this is this is not a spot <laughs> I'm happy to be in at this point. Uh, the river is the six of spades, so our final board is queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, eight of hearts, seven of hearts, six of spades, and 331 in the pot. And it checks around to us again. Check, 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 check. I can't hit the table hard enough. Yep, yep, right. Let's just hope it all works out here. So, All right, Rear says the same thing. I can see no compelling reason to bet as I have oodles of showdown value. There are precisely zero better hands that I can fold out with a third uh, pot shove. Very few hands that I'm getting value from. Maybe King Hearts, Queen X. But that is the absolute best case scenario. I check and show my hand. Under the gun mutters that she had King of Hearts 10X, and the cutoff looks cross and throws his cards in the muck. I scoop out the reasonably sized pot and call for the masseuse. So I, I called the under the gun hand almost perfectly. Then the, I would assume the cutoff might have had the Ace of Hearts with something else, like Ace Jack, the Ace of Hearts, Ace yeah, 10, probably. something like that. Yeah. And, you know, but uh, the under the gun, that's what it was. For them to, to, not, to not bet that turn you knew that they probably and then to call that bet just call it you know they weren't they were obviously drawing because they weren't worried about like us having a a hand that can improve to a full house so let me save it and bet my money now they they just check behind and call well that's a those are big calls for king 10 with the king of hearts that's a big call there with one card to come right wow and the other guy too i mean you must have had the ace of hearts because how else can you make that call and then muck and they mocked, right? right? Yep. He, he must yep. have had the Ace of Hearts somewhere. Maybe he even had Ace King with the Ace of Hearts. I don't put him past Ace King. He raised. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The cut off, right. And he had a, a gutter and two overs. And then he's the one that made the first bet on the turn, on the flop. So when the turn came, yeah, it, it improved him to, okay, I have the nut flush draw now. That's probably what it was. It's was probably Ace King with Ace of Hearts. Well, I, I would say that uh, James played that brilliant. Brilliantly. He was brilliant. <laughs> Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> and I'm Scott Locke. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.